Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osman, here with my friend and chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Shkalim, daf Dalid. We are really making headway here. Um, but we're actually going to start on Gimel, which we always love to do, uh, with Halacha 4, where the fourth Mishnah here of our parish. And this is a rather lengthy Mishnah, but teaches us something very interesting about the mitzvah of Machasid HaShakel. Afal Pisha'amru ein mashkinin nashim ba'avadim uktanim. Right, even though we don't sort of force nashim and slave minors, right, that they have to give it. But if they want to give, they can give. So, in other words, this is a category of people who um, they we don't make them give, but if they would like to contribute, they are allowed to contribute. Right, but let's say you have an idolater or a kuti, and and we'll explain in a little bit what the special status is of the kuti and. The Gemara spends a lot of time actually talking about this. Right? We don't accept it from them. And we don't accept from them if they want to give some of these types of korbanos, which is sort of the bird pair of, of, of Zabim or Zavos, you know, or women who had given birth. The Right? Or also if they want to give a Chatas or an Asham. This is the rule. Anything that is vowed or donated, right? Somebody takes a nether or they just decide to make a donation to the temple, to the Mizbeach itself, we take it. But anything that is not vowed or donated, in other words, it can't just be a donation or something that you vow, right? Those are things that we cannot take um, from these particular groups of the uh, of the idolater um, and the uh, and the kuti, right? So, and since all you know offerings on the mizbeach itself are not considered to be something that could be vowed or donated, right? We're really talking about sort of like mandatory korbanos, right? The chatas and the asham; um, those are things that we cannot accept from them. Um, and then the mission is going to explain how do they know this, and it's interesting because we don't often see sources in a mishnah, but this particular mishnah is going to cite its source. And this is actually from Ezra. So remember the story of Ezra is it's the Shibat Zion, right? Ezra gets permission from the Persian king to go back and to start rebuilding um, Yerushalayim. Um, and one of the uh, one of the things that they discovered there is, um, and this is in Ezra Paragdal Pasuk um, Gimel, um, and the Kutim, they actually offered to help build in the construction. And so the Pasuk says, Lo lachem belanu, Leave note, Beit Lailokeinu. It is not for you, but it's for us to build this house of God. And so basically, Ezra was not willing to accept anything from the Kutim or from idolaters, right? It basically had to be only done uh, by the Jews themselves. Now the mission is going to move on to a very interesting topic, right? We kept talking about, we mentioned before that we call it, it's Masachat Shkalim, but really it's a Machatzira Shekel, it's half a Shekel that's given. And now we get introduced to this topic of the Kolbo. Right. And so this was sort of a tax or an additional payment that you had to give on top of the shekel itself. Um, and the reason for that, and they're going to explain the Mishnah who actually has to give it. But we need to talk a little bit about why do you need the bone at all? Right. So the Tanakama is basically going to explain later. Right. That basically um, during the month of Adar, this is basically the understanding. Right. The half shekel price. And this makes sense would sort of rise in value, right? 
Um, and so therefore, anybody who exchanged, if you took a sella, which was basically a full shekel, and you wanted to exchange it for two half shekel, right? You would sort of have to pay the money, uh, the money changer, right? Sort of a, 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 a premium or something extra because the two half shekels are actually more, more valuable than this one sella. So even though monetarily they should really be the same, the two half shekels actually um, are worth more. So sometimes what people could do is, is that people could join together, right? And they could just pay their, each of their half shekels, they'll just give a sella, right? So in other words, they have a sella, right? Someone gives the other, so Reuven and Shimon need to pay, right? Reuven has a sella. So Shimon says, fine, I'll give you a half a shekel that I have. We don't even know need to go to the money changer and we're just going to give the sella. So when they do that, right, it's actually of less value, right? Than what the two people would have paid, than what two people would have paid to exchange a sella and get two half shekels actually into return. And so therefore, to make sure that all of these machatzira shekel payments are actually equal, right? So therefore, any p- person who's sharing in a sella had to pay an extra kobom, right? So this would be basically the amount that you would have paid the money changer. And it's a little bit extra on top of the two half shekels that you would have gotten over the single seller, right? So again- It's like paying a, a fee for handling. Yeah, it's a, it's a handling fee. But in other words, the idea is, is that they want to really make sure the equality here is what's so important. So knowing that most people are going to do the exchange and they're going to pay the handler's fee, if you just pay a seller with another person, you never paid the handler's fee. And therefore- uh, you, you know, you really would not have paid as much as somebody who paid the handler's fee. So the Tanakhama in our mission is basically going to say that a bone is only required when two people actually share in a cella, right? When one person is paying, um, you know, with this, but a person who's really paying with just a half shekel coin, they would not actually be obligated to pay uh, this, uh, they would not be obligated to pay this bone. Um, so, um so if you paid, here's the question. There was another way to pay this, which is you could take two dinar coins, which together were worth a half shekel, right? That person would also be obligated to pay the bone, right? Because in other words, just this half shekel coin, the half shekel actual coin itself had an increased value during this time. And then we're going to see there's a machlokas with Rabbi Mayer who's going to hold that the bone is actually de Raisa and everybody has to add it on to their half shekel payment whether they're using an actual half shekel, whether they're paying with a cella, whether they're paying with actually two dinars. So this is a very interesting piece uh, to this, right? So it reads as follows. Um, These are who are obligated to pay the kolbon. Levim v'yisraelim v'gerim, right? V'abadim meshucharim, right? So levim yisraelim converts and freed slaves, meaning the people who are obligated to actually pay the machatzir shekel, they have to pay the kolbon. But again, in typical mission of fashion, it doesn't tell us what the kolbon is, right? It just assumes you know <laughs> it. So it's just telling us who has to pay it. So this mission is obviously holding of the opinion that the kohanim didn't really have to pay machatzira shekel. So anyone who doesn't have to pay the machatzira shekel, but could give it if they want, they're not going to be obligated to pay the kolbon. Hashokel al-yad kohen. So let's say somebody contributes a shekel on behalf of a coin, al-yad aisha, or on behalf of a woman, al-yad ebed, or on behalf of a slave, al-yad katan, or on behalf of mine, or pator. Also, he's pator. So in other words, because again, these people are not 
obligated to pay the half shekel. So if you're paying for that person, you don't need to add the kolbon. Okay. But let's say somebody is paying the shekel on his own behalf and on behalf of his friend, right? Then he pays one kolbon, right? Rabbi Meir says he actually has to pay two because remember, according to Rabbi Meir, this is actually going to be a del raisa. And so therefore, every person is required to actually pay the kolbon, right? The Mishnah goes on and says, Hanotain sella. Let somebody somebody contributes a sella, the notain shekel, and then takes a shekel and change. Chayev shnei kolbanot. He actually has to pay two uh, kolbanot. And again, the Gemara is going to explain why exactly that is um, and what exactly um, that means. In other words, is this this ruling is actually according to Rabbi Meir? Would the Tanakama actually agree with that? And then finally, hashokel al yedei ani. Right. Let's say. You give a shekel on behalf of a poor man, or on behalf of his neighbor, or on behalf of his townsman, you're exempt, right? Because you're giving it. This was a gift that you bestowed upon them. But if you lent it to them, they are actually obligated to pay the kolbon. Now the Mishnah gets into a conversation about brothers, right? Brothers who inherit their father's estate, and they are going to sort of pay together out of this estate the half shekel tax. Right, brothers who are partners, right? They share together the father's estate. When they're obligated to pull the kobon, they're exempt from master behema. When they're obligated to take master behema, then they're exempt from paying the kobon. And the Gemara will explain basically on this staff later on that this has to do with whether or not they dissolved the state and estate and reestablished it, or did they uh, keep the estate as it was. And that will impact whether or not they need to take Maser Behema, whether or not they need to pay the Kobon, and the inverse will be true in those cases. And then finally, Bakamahu Kabon, how much is the Kabon? Ma'akesab, it's a Ma'akesab, Dibre Rabbi Meir. Those are the words of Rabbi Meir. It's actually a Chatsi Ma'at. Now, before you get to the Kutim, I just wanted to read one very quick piece of the Gemara here. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's an interesting, it's a complicated Gemara that's on this entire dab. And it goes through a, a whole machlokas between Rabbi Yochanan um, and Reish Lakish. That, that's the uh, first part about the Kutim itself and who's allowed to bring gifts or not bring or not bring gifts. But um, they wanted to ask here, right, my time is a Rabbi Meir. What's the reasoning about Rabbi Meir that a person could, would pay two kolbonos? The Amar Rabbi Meir, Kishem Shaki blue Torah, just as one shekel is a Torah, is a biblical obligation. So this is where he says that it's basically, it's also a de'araisa. Right, Rabbi Meir holds when somebody contributes a whole shekel, right, meaning a seller, right, which is worth two half shekels for himself and for somebody else. Then he's obligated to pay two kolbanos for the two half shekelim that he gave, right? I'm a Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir says, right, Right? That HaKadosh Baruch Hu basically removed a sort of coin from the fire beneath his throne. And he showed it to Moshe. This they shall give. This is the coin that they shall give. So in other words, what's interesting is, and this is what I think is, I mean, it's really a fascinating point currency and value actually does change through time, 
But what Rabbi Meir is trying to cite here, and it's not a pasuk, it's like more of a theory on his end, is that when Hashem commands this mitzvah, machatzit hashekel, right, it has to be equivalent to the coin that he actually showed Moshe. Now, I don't think that that's literally what Rabbi Meir thinks actually happened. But what I think the point is, is that what Rabbi Meir is trying to say is, is that the currency, the value of what a machatzit hashekel is, has to stay eternal and fixed. It cannot ever change. And so therefore, adding this bone is there to always make sure that maybe you have a half shekel that could have been underweight or not as valuable as it should have been. And therefore, we're adding it all the time because that's what the biblical law is, is that that value of the machatzit hashekel is actually never allowed to, um, it's never actually allowed to change. Um, and then just to go on uh, just a little bit farther here, right? Um, Rav says, Divrei HaKolhi, right? It's a rule of, it's unanimously held rule here, right? Echad Shekel Shehunotein, that the one kolbon is for the shekel that he gave, right? Um, and the Echad Shekel Shehunotel, and that one is for the shekel that he takes. And that's how we actually get to sort of this two kolbanos. And then the Gemara is going to explain a little bit more about Rav's reasoning in terms of Rabbi Meir, right? Who holds that it's a derisa to add this kolbon, According to Rav's reasoning, there are actually three kolbanos to, t- to take, right? According to Rabbi Meir, you would require a third one based on the biblical requirement, right? And so now they're going to have another Amoraic teaching here. Atta Rabbi Mirmiya, Rabbi Yirma came and said, Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yitzchak, B'Shem Rav, Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yitzchak, said in the name of Rav, kolbanot inu. According to Rabbi Meir, there can be a situation where there's three kolbanos. Echad shekel shehunotein, right? It's one is for the shekel that he gives. Echad shekel shehunotel. One is for the shekel that he um, that he actually takes, right? So that's, you know, for instead of the, this is for the money changer. Echad devar Torah. And one is for the biblical actual requirement. So in other words, even if you're doing the exchange with the money changer, you still need to give this koban because of this biblical commandment to ensure that your machatzira shekel, that its value is actually fixed. So even if you gave the premium to the money changer, according to Rabbi Mayer, that's not enough and you need to give another one. So very, very interesting. And I, I was really taken by this idea of Rabbi Mayer and it made a lot of sense to me that sort of we can have the machatzira shekel, which you know, is sort of this great equalizer of donation it can't change according to the generations. Its currency can never lose value. And so the kolbon was a way of ensuring from, and according to our member biblically, right, that its value always remained the same. So I just want to revise what I said uh, a little while ago about the kolbon being um, like a handler's fee. I think it's more like the different, you know, sometimes there's a difference if you're going to pay in cash, or you're going to pay in credit. And then sometimes the credit will cost more because that really is a handler's fee. But right. But you, the buyer, are paying a premium to be able to have the, take advantage of the convenience of paying with credit, let's say. So I feel like here the rationale is different. Right. It's not about convenience. It's about, you know, certainly according to the opinion that says it's to to make sure that everybody's paying the same thing. But the but the phenomenon of it is more than a handler's fee it's really i would say more of a premium on on the base right on the baseline of the okay i just have a very small piece of gemara that i want to talk about here which is it goes back to the discussion of the kuti and the 
And the Mishnah, specifically, the Mishnah says, you know, Mishnah referred to the fact of Anachriva Kuti, the non-Jew and the Kuti, who we'll define in a moment, um, that, that these parties, these populations, do not contribute to the Machatzita Shekel. They do not contribute to the census. Now, Anachri here means a non-Jew, um, and the Kuti means specifically the Samaritans, what we call in English the Samaritans. And we have discussed them in the past, and they've come up in the Gemara in the past, and they will come up more and take a greater center stage also going forward. So I'm not going to spend too much time on them, but basically the bottom line is that this was a population that lived in Israel at the time, at the same time that, you know, around the time of leading up until and then following, right, the Chorban Abayat, the destruction of the temple. and But, but the Halach is very clear in treating these people not as Jews, but they're also, you hear the distinction between Gentile, a Goy, a non-Jew, and a Kuti, right? So what's, how does this fall out, right? This is, this is, begins to be the question. There's a real dispute between Rabbi Huda Nasi and Rabbi Shimon Ben Gamliel about whether a Kuti is more like an Anjou or more like a Jew in all matters. Um, and the Samaritan status is still kind of in limbo in this way, where I think that really they were not considered Jews, but they're also not as far gone, they're not as foreign to Ben Israel either in terms of what they do. They don't do everything the Jews do, right? The practices are not identical, um, but they are very much in the same kind of camp, I would say. Um, yeah, and this is really just an excellent piece of Gemara. You know, it's your Shalmi, obviously, really going through sort of those differences and the, the ways that different Tanayim really viewed them differently. I would say we should mention this as we are wont to do. This is not PC, right? Meaning this is the Gemara here clearly and more on the daf than we have discussed clearly has what I would call some kind of hierarchy in terms of, you know, the Bnei Israel and kind of everybody else. And then what happens with the Kutim and with the Nachri, with, you know, it's not trying to make non-Jews part of Bnei Israel. And that, and it's not trying, the equalization, that's not the right word here, but right, the, the putting everybody in the same plane that takes place with the Machatzit Shekel is once you're within the camp of the Jewish camp. Um, and if you are outside of it, Nachri, Kuti, and, and anybody else, then the Gemara has no apologies for excluding those populations. I, I think that is a good way to say it and important to acknowledge that. And I could definitely see why, you know, some people reading this don't love some of the formulation or discussion around the Kutim here. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff and our continued discussion about the inner workings of the temple on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.